Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Justin Jackson is continuing a series on John, where Jesus pours out his wisdom in the last moments he has with his disciples. After instructing us to love him, Jesus shares how we are to love him with a metaphor, a command, and a promise. What does loving Jesus look like in your life? After the message, you're invited to answer some application questions, which you can find on our website right under the worship service video. Now, here's today's teaching. Well, man, good morning, church family. Second Sunday in a row. I'm super excited about this Sunday. Um, This is my first time ever preaching two sermons back-to-back, which was really fun for sermon prep because this week just felt like it flew by. Um, I also, I have to say, I really love um, when I get to uh, just play as a member of the band on the worship team. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin Jackson. I'm the worship director here, which means uh, normally my like duties as a worship director are to you know get the band together, uh, organize practice time, uh, schedule songs and things like that. Um, and there's a lot of work that goes into that throughout the week, and I. I wonder, I hope many of you are not thinking, well, did JJ pull double duty this week? Did he preach and did he prepare for worship team? But I did not. I promise you, all I did was, uh, was sermon prep this week and Ellery graciously uh, signed on to be worship leader this week. So thank you, Ellery. You're awesome. Um, yeah, let's dive into God's word this morning, right? Sound good? John 15. If you remember from last week, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start going. If you remember from last week, um, we continued our study into something called the farewell discourse, and it's basically um, Jesus is kind of giving a last conversation, having this intimate uh, after dinner conversation with his disciples. It's going to end up being the kind of the last words that he says to them um, before he eventually is betrayed, arrested, um, and eventually dies and is resurrected. Um, And last week, we kind of looked at how Jesus was alleviating a lot of the disciples' anxiety because um, two weeks ago, we talked about how he kind of hit them with some pretty startling news, right? They were, he was going to leave them. He was going to his father. um, He was going to be betrayed. um, And that they, you know, even he was talking about Peter denying him and that kind of tore them up inside. And so last week, he was trying to inspire them to kind of alleviate a lot of those fears. And through that, uh, this answer came back over and over again. As they were, ans- they were asking him questions, he said, guys, it's me. It's just me. Love me. All the answers, all the, all the answers to all your questions, it's me. You know? uh, what is the way to God, to truth, to life? Uh, how do we see Jesus uh, when others don't? You know, how, how do I see God? Show me the face of the Father. And he's just saying, it's me, you guys. Love me. Love Jesus. And I love how it shows how Jesus loved his disciples so much. And in return, he asked them to do one thing. It was just, guys, it's just love me back. Now, here's the problem with me just reading a passage from the Bible and then saying, all right, guys, the answer is just, it's love Jesus. Just love Jesus, right? Because a lot of times uh, people, all people, people who uh, come to church regularly or people who have never been to church before, um, they hear the church say, love Jesus, guys. That's the answer. Just love Jesus. And the immediate question that follows that I think probably a few of you probably asked uh, after my sermon last week was, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I love Jesus? What are, the, what are the concrete ways that I love Jesus? We get lost in the weeds of what loving Jesus looks like, um, or at least like doing that well. Um, so uh, you're in luck because this week is all just how to love Jesus. You guys are getting like a whole sermon of like just application. Okay, and Jesus himself, he's gonna unpack 
what it means to love him here in John 15 through three things. He's going to kind of use three different methods of communicating. He's going to use a metaphor. He's going to use a command and he's going to use a promise. Okay. So if you want like three main points for your sermon notes or whatever, the metaphor, the command, and the promise. And in each of these methods of communicating, Jesus is going to teach us something about what it looks like to love him. So let's dive in. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we have extras in the back in the, at the Connect desk. I know where it is this time. At the Connect desk by the coffee station. Um, so go pick up a Bible, pick up a cold brew if you need to. Um, and let's turn to the book of John chapter 15 to see what God's word has for us this morning. And I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me as we did last week. Um, for the reading of God's word. And I'm going to be reading John 15, verses 1 through 6 to start us off. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, church. You may have a seat. So Jesus begins this chapter with a metaphor, okay? Uh, he's comparing himself to a vine. And I want us to notice the verb used in verse four, that word abide, okay? Jesus uses this word abide 11 times in this chapter. Um, and I want to unpack this word abide because it's going to help the vine metaphor make like a little bit more sense. And at the same time, it's going to give us some really good clarity on how to love Jesus. So I'm going to start with this. Webster's Dictionary defines the word abide as accepting or acting in accordance with a rule or a recommendation. And at first, that definition actually seems pretty appropriate, right? To abide in Christ is to accept or act in accordance with his rules, right? Well, see... This is where modern English sometimes points us in the wrong direction. Uh, the word abide has been around for centuries. Uh, linguistic historians think it probably originated around the 12th century, which is really, really long time ago for an English word. And uh, over that time, meanings of words change. Um, and uh, the original, what we would call like the archaic meaning of the word abide, simply meant to live in or to dwell in. Has anyone ever heard of a house referred to as somebody's abode? That's just like the noun version of the word, of the verb abide. And it's a place where you make your dwelling, right? Something you live in. So why are we making this distinction? Check this out. This is so cool. The New Testament Bible that we read in English, right? Uh, it was originally written in Greek. John wrote it in Greek, which means the word abide was actually translated from a Greek word originally. And that Greek word is meno. Okay, and meno means to stay, to live, or to remain. And it's why the metaphor of the vine is so perfect because a vine is alive, right? It has biological processes. It grows and draws nutrients and spreads nutrients to the branches. And so as Jesus is using this term abide to describe loving him, he shows us a picture of what it looks like. It's living in him, deriving our life from him, placing him at like the center of our lives. To abide is simply to dwell in or dwell on Jesus. Now, of course, putting Christ at the center of our lives does mean living in accordance with his commandments, but it starts with just 
focusing on him, deriving our life from him. So now that we're clear on the word abide, let's explore this metaphor of the vine and continue to see what abiding in Christ looks like. Jesus says in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now I know we just spent like two minutes with semantics of words, but I don't want to get too lost in the semantics of what's going on with what he's doing with the vine here. I think sometimes us in our like modern English, we hear him say vine and uh, we think of the things that kind of come off on the end of a plant. But what Jesus is referring to here would be a grapevine. They had a lot of those in uh, Palestine. And, uh, and a grapevine, the stem or like the, the main trunk of it, back then they used to refer to as the vine. So what Jesus is saying here is like, I am like the central part. I am the core of the plant. And then what he says as branches are the things that we might refer to as vines, right? The extremities of the plant. So I don't want us to get too caught up on that. When he says vine, he means like the central part of the plant. And when he says branches, he means the extremities. Now, the obvious metaphor here is that abiding in Christ looks like getting our life from Christ. And the metaphor is perfect because it shows the direction our lives go, right? We partner with Christ. We place him at the center of our lives, abiding in him. And through the life he provides, we bear fruit. Okay, so what's this fruit, right? Uh, well, we actually have a really, really good, uh, uh, another metaphor in scripture for uh, the fruit that comes uh, from Christ. Actually, we call it the fruit of the spirit. If you remember that Holy Spirit from last week, we talked about that helper that Jesus was sending to his disciples. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, we have another very commonly known phrase from the Bible. But the fruit of the spirit, catch that spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So if you're like me and you read that list and you're like, man, that sounds great. Sign me up. Uh, I want all of that in my life. I want more of that in my life. Great. Follow along with how the vine works. If we love Christ by placing him at the center of our lives, then through the spirit he gives us, the Holy Spirit he will send to help us, our lives will overflow with and be defined by love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Awesome. But, but pay attention to the order of these things. It's so important. Lots of human beings from all walks of life, they spend their entire lives chasing things like love and joy and peace and patience, right? They, they, they seek these things with all their heart. And uh, sometimes I feel like, especially in Christian circles too, the assumption becomes, well, I need all these things in my life in order to have a relationship with Christ. But that's backwards, okay? These things come out of a relationship with Jesus. They are the fruit, right? The fruit is evidence that there is life flowing through the vine to the branches, and I love, I love the role the father plays in all of this, right? In verse one, Jesus calls the father the vine dresser. And this is such a cool picture, okay? Um, to the untrained eye, a guy walking up to a plant with a pair of uh, clippers, right? And cutting off parts of the plant would look kind of scary, right? Like if, if plants could cry out, do you think the, the plant would like scream every time he like cut off a piece of the plant? But anyone who does understand plant grooming understands that the vine dresser's primary goal is to take care of the plant, to nurture it, to help it grow, right? Check out the two things the vine dresser does. He cuts off branches that do not bear fruit, and he prunes branches that do. Now, on the surface, these don't seem that different, right? Both things are still like taking the clippers and cutting at stuff. Uh, but here's the difference. 
the only branches that are cut off are the branches that bear no fruit. People who do not exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness of any kind in their lives um, are not have no part in the kingdom of heaven. But here's the kicker. It's not because of the lack of fruit. It's because of the lack of the source that caused the lack of fruit. You catching that? A branch that is dead is not receiving any nutrients from the vine. The flow has already been cut off well before the vine dresser showed up with the clippers. Okay. And here's the thing about dead branches, you guys. Uh, They can actually be very dangerous to the rest of the plant. Uh, Just a quick story from my childhood. Um, Growing up, we had this uh, mimosa tree in our backyard, which grew about like 40 and 50 feet or 40 to 50 feet. And the thing about mimosa that you have to understand is that they're really susceptible to rot. Um, and it starts like in one of the extremities and it will just kind of slowly take over the whole thing. So we had this mimosa tree in our backyard and one day it just, it literally just fell over. And what was so interesting about how it fell over, it was a totally silent. Um, and this tree was like right in the back of our yard. I grew up in suburban Portland. So like we didn't have a huge gigantic yard and there weren't many big trees in our neighborhood, but every house had like one or two, but this tree just fell over silently. And the only reason I, I, I like saw it was I was looking out the back window and the shade over like our patio, like disappeared, like no sound. It just, it just disappeared. And there was sunlight. And I was like, what just happened? And we go out there, my family and I, we go out there and this tree is just sprawled out over our whole backyard. It crushed our trampoline. My brother and I were really sad. I actually just poked a few holes. We still used it for a couple of years. Um, but, uh, but it just, it fell. Like it, it, no wind, no rain. It was a beautiful, sunny summer day. No like snow weighing it down. It just fell over. And we went to inspect why it fell over. And we realized it had rotten all the way down the branches into the core. And that's how it starts. One branch develops a rot and soon more branches are infected until all of a sudden the plant withers and dies. And this is why the vine dresser is so important. He takes care of the plant. Cutting off the dead branches is nurturing to the plant. More importantly though, look at what he does with the branches that do bear fruit, right? He prunes them. One commentary makes the connection here between the imagery of pruning and discipline. uh, And I just, I love the way that that, that's framed, right? Often as sinful human beings, we don't like the idea of of having to be uh, disciplined. We cringe and we try to avoid the concept of God, like actively working in our lives to discipline us. But how can you look at the image here in verse two and not see something profoundly beautiful? He prunes them that they may bear more fruit. All that stuff that you want more of in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, God wants more of it in your life too. God sees your potential as a beautiful branch bearing uncountable fruit for his kingdom, right? And he desires that so much for you that he prunes you. And that pruning comes in many forms. Uh, It often looks different for every individual's life. I'm not going to speak to anybody's specific uh, things here. I can speak to my own experiences. I know for me, it's like the stuff that you really hated when you were going through it at the time. But then you look back on it, you're like, wow, I cannot believe how much stronger that made me. I cannot believe how that showed me what peace really looks like. I can't believe how that showed me um, what love really looks like. And I want to make one tiny clarification before we move on. Uh, I'm not talking about abuse here. There's a world of difference between a professional vine dresser who lovingly cleans up his plant so it can bear more fruit and like a kid with a saw who just hacks it to pieces because it's fun. Okay. And we're going to talk more about like persecution later on in this chapter, but I just want you to know like God prunes you for your benefit. By this, my father's glorified verse eight, that you bear much fruit 
and so prove to be my disciples. God's deepest desire for you is to be close to him. And in doing so, to be so full of the fruit of the spirit that your life is literally overflowing with love and joy and peace, all found in life with Jesus. Just look at how Jesus ends this section. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I love that, that your joy may be full. So how do we love Jesus? Abide in him, make him the source of your life. Center your life around him, his word, which you can find in the Bible, his commands, which are also found in the Bible. Uh, And by the way, the byproduct of our lives, uh, 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 the byproduct of living in him is that our lives overflow with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Next, the command. Number two, and seriously, you guys, this whole section is just, might be one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, not just because the words are super inspiring, um, but because of all like the little things that are going on behind the scenes. Let's unpack this. Jesus says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You want a simple and easy way to love Jesus? Love each other as I have loved you. And then Jesus says what is probably one, if not my favorite Jesus saying in like the whole Bible, verse 13, greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus just lays out like the most fundamental aspect of love, which is sacrifice, right? Real love costs us something. We put the needs of those we love before our needs. Our lives become secondary to theirs. The most intense version of this love is the literal sacrifice of one's life for someone else. And here is like the coolest part of this passage, you guys. Here's what's going on. Jesus is about to like do this. Like he's, he's less than 24 hours from doing this. Uh, I love that everything Jesus said he would do and that like we should do he actually did it first, right? Jesus put his money where his mouth was and laid down his own life, not just for his friends, but for people who considered themselves his enemies, for you and for me. That's the kind of love he's talking about here, sacrifice for others. Okay, so the command is love each other, but you may be asking, uh, what does that have to do with loving Jesus? Okay, like I can love another person, but how does that directly affect my love for Jesus? Well, let me direct you to another passage in the Gospels um, that not only shows that loving others is loving Jesus, but it also actually gives us some really tangible examples of how to love others. If you want, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel account of Jesus's life, chapter 25. I'm going to be reading uh, verses 34 through 40. Then the king... All right, and that king is Jesus. Okay, we, we, we call him our king. That king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The tangibles of loving Jesus are making sacrifices for your brothers and sisters, and ultimately all the people around you. Your love for others is evidence of your love for Jesus. 
Finally, the promise. And spoilers, it's not an encouraging promise. Um, But that's okay. Uh, Starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all those things, all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So this promise does a couple of things. First, I want to point out that Jesus is continually pointing the disciples back to the truth of what happened during his ministry. We've already read through John how the world rejected him, how the religious leaders rejected him. Uh, They couldn't bear to hear the truth that he brought from the Father. And many times they actually already tried to kill him and eventually they would. Jesus' promise here then to the disciples is, everything you saw and will see the world do to me, that is also going to happen to you. And what is brilliant about saying this right here in this context with everything else he said so far is that this promise is also pointing out to them the evidence of what it looks like to love Jesus. Check this out. In essence, he's saying, look at how the world treats you. Does it hate you or does it love you? If the world hates you on account of me, my name, the truth that I have imparted to you, the works that you do in my name, great. That's evidence that you love me. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And here's the thing about being of the world or being of Jesus. This isn't like a one and done thing. Okay. This functions in tandem with like the abiding in Christ. It's a constant daily thing. I'm reminded of Jesus's words in the gospel of Luke uh, chapter nine, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Right? And check out that phrase, deny himself. I love that. Uh, Why does the world hate Jesus's message? Because it's the opposite of their message, right? Be the master of your own fate. Set your own course. You can save yourself if you do all these things. But Jesus's message is no, deny yourself and trust me that I have saved you. Verse 23, whoever hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Abide in me and the world will hate you. The world will hate you. I'm, uh, but check this out, church. Uh, that's okay. Like, take heart. You know why? Because tiny spoilers for next week. I don't want to ruin Chad's message, but uh, I'm just going to tease you with this. John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. All right, I'm just going to leave that there. Come back next week to hear Pastor Chad Weaver preach on that. Um, But okay, so what does loving Jesus look like? We got through our three points. Abiding in him, loving each other, and being, honestly, being hated by the world. Abiding in him, means centering our lives around him, right? Communing with him through his word, worshiping him, seeking to know him more. Check this out. At Northwest Hills, our vision statement, right, is to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and make him known. What are our two asks under loving Jesus at Northwest Hills? Right, these are so perfect. We ask that we commit to Sunday and we practice the spiritual disciplines. You want to be better friends with Jesus? Come to his house, or in this case, maybe hang out with him in his backyard. Um, 
learn more about him, right? Spend time in his word, all things that happen on Sunday, right? Find him in the silence and the solitude and in prayer, talking with him, right? That's what friendship looks like. That's what abiding looks like, making Jesus the center of our lives. Loving each other, right, means making sacrifices for one another, putting one another first. It's what Jesus did, living in close community with one another, bearing one another's burdens, right? That's what the church should be known for, our kindness to one another, our gentleness with one another, our ability to show each other true sacrificial love. And finally, recognizing that the evidence of our love for Jesus will be the world's hatred. It just comes with the territory. If you're loving Jesus and making him the center of your life instead of yourself or some other thing that the world has to offer, the world will take offense to that. And being willing to daily trust Jesus and put him at the center of your life, even when the world berates you and knocks you down or tries to silence you, is the mark of a person who truly loves Jesus. One final note on our passage today before we wrap up, um, and I'll keep it brief uh, just as Jesus keeps it brief. The Holy Spirit has a huge part to play in all of this. We talked about him last week, this third member of the Trinity who Jesus left here with us to help us, that spirit. It empowers us to abide in Jesus. It empowers us to love each other even when we don't feel like we can. Uh, It empowers us to endure the world's hatred. This chapter ends, uh, though we know it's not the end of the discussion, uh, with these words from Jesus, uh, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is a call to action, right? Jesus is saying, though I'm going back to the Father, my ministry, my kingdom on earth here, it's not over. It's not done. The spirit of truth, he's going to keep bearing witness, which is just a fancy word for uh, keep making me known, okay? Uh, He's going to make me known. And guess what? You will too, because he's going to do it through you. So my exhortation to us this morning is going to be similar to last week, maybe with like a little bit more focused perspective this time. It's still to love Jesus. But now, now we know how. You, uh, You have the first steps towards how. Abide in him, make time for him, seek him in his word and love each other. When we love each other, we show love to Jesus. If you don't know where to start, ask the Holy Spirit. Like he is here moving in this place. Like we believe that as a church right now. Uh, his job is literally to help you love Jesus, live like Jesus, and like we read, make him known. Maybe like the action item is just listening, right? Today, this week, maybe making yourself available to hear what he has to say and then doing it. I'm gonna actually invite the band to come on stage now as I, as I finish this up here, and I will pray. Um, we're gonna sing a song that we've only sung once before, and we sang it about like a month ago. And the heart of the song is a response to God that says, here I am. You can have all of me, God. I want to abide completely in you. And my hope is that as we sing, uh, you would be listening to what the Holy Spirit may be like nudging you towards. Okay? This goes for longtime believers and first-time attenders. Loving Jesus means listening to him when he's nudging you toward the great things he wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we hear your word, as we study your word, as we um, dig deep into relationships with one another, loving each other, God, I pray that you would make yourself known to us, that we would hear your spirit, that we would be listening, God. I know so often we feel like we're asking over and over again, God, where are you? God, where are you? And you're talking, we're just not listening. 
And so, Lord, I pray um, that as we sing these songs, as we go about our week, Lord, that we would seek you, we would desire to abide in you, put you at the center of our lives, that we would be loving each other, God, showing great love, um, Lord, and I pray that as we do those things, that your spirit would empower us with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with faithfulness, with goodness, with self-control, with gentleness, God. You are such a good God. We love you, Lord. We worship you for you are good. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage, including resources like our application questions. Thanks again for listening.